friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. invite you to please rise from your seats and let's take a look at Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 18 to 20 at this time. At the count of three, let's all read together aloud please. One, two, read. What profit is the idol when its maker has carved it or an image a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a mute stone, Arise. And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again. In spite of the citywide festa and roads being blocked, we thank you, O Lord, that we could still worship you. We thank you that yesterday we had about 450 of us joining in worship in two of our services. And today, Lord, your people have come. And Lord, there is no reason why we cannot worship you and we will not worship you because you alone are the holy and transcendent God. You are the one and only true God and you deserve the highest praise. You deserve our worship. You deserve, Lord, our sacrifice. And so we thank you this morning that you have allowed us to gather together as one church and we pray, Father, for your protection upon us uh, coming in as well as going out of this place. Lord, I pray for myself that you will anoint and empower me so that I will be able to impart your truth to your people, O God. So speak to your people through your Holy Spirit. I pray all our, our minds and eyes and hearts would be open, Lord, to receive from you. And I trust, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will be preeminent in this place, Lord. And Lord, uh, for the people who are watching also through live stream, may this message reach them. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Folly of Idolatry. And, you know, it continually amazes me that the timing of God is just perfect. Now, for those of you who have been with me for quite a number of years, you know that I do expository preaching. By that, I mean that when we go to a book of the Bible, we deal with it verse by verse. And of course, the intention is that we might learn the whole counsel of God's Word, not just bits and pieces of it. But as I mentioned to you, what amazes me is the fact that this message is just so timely. 
considering the fact that we are now having a citywide festa, the roads are blocked, and there's going to be millions and millions of people who will be joining the parade and the religious festivities. And I think this message is something that needs to be heard. And I'm thankful to God that we have uh, the live stream, and I trust that this message would somehow reach some people whose hearts are open, and hopefully they would understand what the Word of God has to say. Now, as we take a look at the passage that we will be studying, of course, you and I know that the primary reference here has to do with the nation of Babylon. And basically, this passage teaches us that Babylon was deeply entrenched in idolatry. And what it teaches is the folly of worshiping idols. But it is not only foolish to worship idols, what this passage also teaches us is that this is one of the most serious abominations that God actually hates. And that's why I feel that this message is really relevant in our case. Now, again, as I mentioned to you, this verse will show to us the idolatrous nature of the Babylonians. You know, what's quite interesting uh, that I discovered is that archaeological finds have shown to us that the Babylonians were actually addicted. That's the word. They were addicted to idolatry. In fact, they thought that all the military victories that they had with Edom, Assyria, Egypt, and later on with Israel, they thought that these military victories came about as the worship of their idols. They believed that they attributed their victories to the worship of these idols. And again, we know that is not true. What they failed to realize is that idolatry accomplishes nothing. And as I mentioned to you, it is one of the worst abominations against God. And let me show to you on the screen right now our three points. And so here are the three things we will be studying. We'll be talking about the loss of worshiping an idol. Some people think that there is profit in worshiping an idol. This passage tells us that it is actually a loss. And so that is found in verse 18, and under that, we will discover a few things. That an idol is actually the creation of man. It is also a teacher of falsehood. And the folly of that is having faith in a God of your own creation. Now, an idol is speechless. That basically tells us that it is lifeless. Now, we go to point number two, and we're going to talk about the mystery of idol worshipers in verse 19. And here we find the Babylonians, and a lot of people, in fact, beseeching inanimate objects. And the Bible declares they are no teachers at all. They are made of valuable earthly materials, but they're valueless. Again, we are told that they are lifeless, and the expression that is used here is that they are breathless. Now, the climax of this passage is point number three. 
wherein you and I will be talking about the true God in verse 20. And what we will discover there is the transcendent existence of God in time as well as in space. And then finally, we have a command to worship the one and only true God and for all the idolaters to shut up. So basically, that is what you and I will be talking about. So let's take a look at the loss of worshiping an idol as found in verse 18. Now, before we deal with verse 18, let us answer, first of all, one very important question, lest we miss out on a very important definition. Now, the question is, what is idolatry? And rather than coming up with a concocted uh, meaning on what idolatry is, I would rather go to the scriptures so that the Bible actually tells us exactly what idolatry is. And I think uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 25 succinctly explains to us what idolatry is. So could you please turn your Bibles to Romans 1 verse 25 at this time. It says, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forevermore. So basically, if we take a look at this passage, what this is telling us is that idolatry is actually worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator himself. It is serving the creature rather than the creator himself. Now, it can be the worship of something such as a graven image. It can also be the worship of anything that God has created. Now, allow me to supplement that by adding the thoughts of Ezekiel, who tells us that we can also have idols in our own hearts. So it's not just graven images. If there are certain things that we value over and above God, it is already considered an idol. So it could be money. It could be fame, it could be success, it could be a person, it could be our achievements, it could be anything that is over and above God. We value things over and above God. Now, idolatry is clearly forbidden by God. In fact, it is one of the Ten Commandments as found in Exodus chapter 20 and verses 4 to 6. Allow me to read this passage to us. It goes, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Does not even say you shall not worship an idol at the beginning. Rather, what it says is you shall not even attempt to make an idol. Because that's what it says here. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now we call ourselves a Christian nation. And what is happening right now in our city is called a Christian celebration. But the big question is, can we really say 
that the religious festivities today is actually a Christian celebration in lieu, in view rather, of the fact that the Bible prohibits not only the worship of idols, but even the making of idols. Now, most obviously, if we are to use the Bible as a basis in regard to this question, we know, therefore, that we are, in fact, being disobedient to God. What is happening right now is not actually something that is pleasing to the Lord because as the Bible says, it is prohibited, it is forbidden, and therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, it is an abomination. And that is exactly what it is, and we need to call it exactly as it is. The Bible says it is an abomination, and therefore, we need to call it exactly as the Bible calls it. Now, take notice of the fact that it also says that this sin is so bad, it is so grievous, in fact, that the effect of it lasts even up to the third and the fourth generations. You know, one of the things that has puzzled a lot of our countrymen is the fact that we are a very poor country. And I keep on saying that we are not supposed to be a poor country. If we compare ourselves, for example, with Singapore, Singapore has zero natural resources. In fact, their water supply, you know, comes all the way from Malaysia. They don't have their own water supply. So they need to get it from Malaysia. And so there's a pipeline that goes from Malaysia all the way to Singapore. And just imagine if the Malaysians decide to cut that pipeline. Well, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be war. That is how poor Singapore is in terms of natural resources. And yet right now, it is one of the most expensive places to live in. And why is that so? Because it is a first world country. When we compare Singapore with ourselves, we are a blessed country in terms of natural resources. I recall the time several years back when a Japanese agricultural expert went to Mindanao and this is what he said. He said, give me Mindanao and I will feed the whole world. And that is really true. Uh, several years back, I went to Kidapawan and I got to know that one of the major industries that they have is, is a rubber plantation because they have a lot of trees there that produce rubber. I recall uh, way back when my father was still working with B.F. Goodrich, they had, uh, they had a company plane that would fly them all the way to Basilan uh, when it was still uh, peaceful at that time. Uh, way back in the 60s and 70s, they would fly all the way to Basilan because they were supervising their own rubber plantations. That is how rich our country is. We have, we have so many natural resources. Mining, mining is there. There's a lot of precious uh, stones that we have. And then uh, our agricultural land is very fertile. And there was even a time that, was that we were teaching the world how to, how to, do, um, how to do rice plantation. 
Now it's quite interesting, it is now Israel that is teaching us about their technology in rice planting. And it is rather unfortunate. And we take a look, for example, at our city, what do we see? We see high-rise buildings. And right beside those high-rise buildings, guess what you see? You see slums. You see squatter areas. I mean, the disparity it is so wide. It's like living in two different worlds. It's like you're, you're in a very wealthy city, and then all of a sudden you look at, you look at one place, it's very poor. There's abject poverty. It's really very sad when we take a look at the situation in our country. We find a lot of people have you know, luxury cars like Audis or BMWs, Mercedes-Benz. At the same time, you find children knocking on those doors asking for money, begging for money. You find people living in high-rise condominiums and then you find people uh, who are homeless who live in the streets. And we ask ourselves the question, why? We are also, we have a very high literacy rate. You really think about it, again, if we're talking about education, of course, we're not saying that our education is complete and that we don't need to improve on it and that we do not need to expand it. No, there's still so much room for improvement. But our literacy rate is very high. And among all the Asian countries, we are the ones who are most fluent in terms of speaking English. I mean, we're Filipinos, but, but guess what our service is? We have an English service, all right? We have more English services than we have Cebuano services. Why? Because a lot of our people are comfortable with, with speaking English and listening to English. We have a very high literacy rate. And yet, one of the, the greatest exports that we have are, are human resources. We have so many OFWs, people who leave for abroad, work abroad because the pay is higher, and then they leave behind their families here for years. I know of a, a dear uh, family or a dear couple, uh, they, they saw their, their children only after two years. And that somehow pains my heart because families are not supposed to live apart even for the sake of money. And guess what happens? Adultery takes place because the man goes, home, goes to another place, he becomes lonely, and he seeks for companionship. And so he finds this woman or, he find, or she finds this man. And before you know it, they already have an affair, they already have a relationship. And the same thing happens to those who are left behind here. They become lonely. They, they receive the money, but they become lonely. They seek companionship. And because they have the money right now, they're tempted now to, to do crazy things. And what happens with the children? Sometimes without a father, sometimes without a mother. What happens to them? Well, some of them end up in drugs. Some of them become pushers. Some of them become drug addicts. Some of the women become pregnant as teenagers. And you think about that, and we ask the question, why? 
And we always want to think in terms of politics. We always want to think in terms of economics. And we say, well, you know what? We just simply need to change our form of government or we need to change our politicians or we need to come up with different economic strategies and so on. And we talk about this and the argument and the debates go on and on and on and on. And you know what? We have very intelligent answers to these issues and to these questions. And yet, we still remain in abject poverty. The question again is why? And I would like to submit to you that I think it is about time that we start thinking that the root of our problem is more spiritual than it is political. It is more spiritual than it is economic. And here in this particular passage, God is telling us one of the major reasons why our country is suffering. This passage is telling us why you and I are still in abject poverty. Again, there's no reason why we should be poor. And yet, again, as I mentioned to you, we're very poor. Now, some people would argue and say, but Pastor Mel, ours is not really idolatry because what we are making is simply a representation of God. We're not really worshiping these things. Really? Are we not really worshiping these things when, for example, uh, in the procession that was held in Metro Manila just very recently, wherein there were millions of devotees, what were they doing? They were, they were stepping on each other. They were climbing on each other just to be able to touch an image. Some people were hurt. Some people were hospitalized. Some people were injured. And you tell me that's not idolatry? Is it not idolatry when, when you take out your handkerchief and you wipe this image and you kiss it and you get all the bacteria? Is that not idolatry? I mean, we can come up with all sorts of excuses, but our actions belie our confession. And that is why, again, let me just tell you, this is one of the more serious sins that we are committing. Now, for the sake of argument, if we say, well, we're not worshiping it, it's just a representation. Even, listen well, even a representation will not work with God. Because if you recall the story in the book of Exodus when, when Israel uh, left Egypt and Moses went up to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments through two tablets, um, Guess what happened? Aaron was, was actually pushed by the people to, to come up with an idol and he formed this golden calf and he began to worship it. And, and this is what they said, this is the God who delivered us from Egypt. In other words, it was supposed to be a representation of the true God, Yahweh, who delivered them from Egypt. And yet, and yet, what happened? Moses coming down from the mountain, what did he do? Well, he threw the two tablets of stone because they had broken one of the Ten Commandments. They were worshiping an idol, although it was supposed to represent God. 
Even that was not supposed to be something that they were going to do. And yet they did it, and God hated it. Moses hated it. And by the way, guess what happened there? After worshiping this idol, there was a national sexual orgy. Can you imagine that? An entire nation in sexual orgy. And we think our world has become very, very dark. Well, it was already very dark during those times. In fact, let me just tell you how dark the world was. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember how uh, the men of that place wanted to have sex with the angels, presuming that they were men? And we would think that there were a lot of homosexuals in Sodom and Gomorrah. The truth of the matter, listen well, is this. The truth of the matter is that in Sodom and Gomorrah, homosexuality was the culture. That's what you and I will discover if we study it deeper. Homosexuality was the culture in Sodom and Gomorrah. That is why they wanted to have sex with these angels. Now why talk about homosexuality? Because if you go to Romans chapter 1, it tells us that the reason why there is a proliferation of homosexuality and lesbianism is because of idolatry. Idolatry is the root of homosexuality and lesbianism. And so we go to that question, well, why are there so many homosexuals right now in our city as well as in this entire country? And they've become even more brazen and even, even bolder than, than ever before. I mean, you find some people who, you know, who have their bodies sculpted, you know, by by having these uh, surgical operations and and so the males appear like like women and they wear these you know they wear these these clothes that display supposedly you know their their assets and they're all fake of course and and yet you know what we we think lightly of these things we laugh at these things yet let me just tell you it's not a laughing matter with god it is not a laughing matter at all with God. And we are suffering the consequences of our disobedience as a country and we call ourselves a Christian nation. We have brought shame to the name of the Lord by calling ourselves Christians and yet the way we behave, we behave like pagans. And so going back um, to our study, even as we take a look at the idolatry of the Babylonians, I think we need also to be reminded that idolatry is a worldwide phenomenon. It's not just something here in our country. It's not just something that was there in Babylon in ancient times. It's everywhere. In fact, let me just share to you a few data. The world's greatest worshipers of gods may be said to be the Hindus. They have 330 million gods. Now, I don't know how, can, how they can even remember all the names of those gods. 330 million gods and goddesses to every Hindu family. 
Hindu religion teaches the sanctity of animal life. And so while they themselves usually live in abject poverty, the animals among them are maintained in idleness because they're worshipped as gods. India's 450 million Hindus have roughly 7.5 million cows to worship. Sayang! They could have, they could have had corned beef. But again, there's hunger, there's famine, and it's self-inflicted. It is self-inflicted. Moreover, they allow monkeys, rats, and other pests to eat and damage their crops. Why? Because they're gods. Now in Athens, in ancient Athens, similarly, similarly as you walk around the streets of, of ancient Athens, there was an idol god on every corner. Someone jestingly said back in the days of the great Greek empire that there were more gods in the city of Athens than there were people. They had a god for everything. And so again, idolatry is a worldwide phenomenon, but again, we're dealing with Babylon here. And this passage is telling us that, that idols are merely a creation of man. Notice what verse 18 says. Take a look at verse 18. It says, what profit is the idol? when its maker has carved it. What good can an idol make when it is something that is made by man himself? How can man treat something as God which he himself has created? Now we find in Psalm 115 verse 5, the ridicule of idolatry. Take a look at Psalm 115 beginning at verse 5 please. It says, they have mouths, but they speak not. Imagine a God who cannot talk to you. How can it be a teacher? How can it teach you truth? Verse 5, eyes have they, but they do not see. These gods cannot see you. They don't even recognize you. Verse 6, they have ears. But they hear not. And so we, we keep on praying and we keep on praying. And our prayers are not heard at all. You know, it's interesting how, how people, you know, at times go to these images and, you know, they pray, Lord, I'm going to line up in the loto. So, Lord, I'm going to wipe you. And, Lord, please give me the, the correct combination. Then you go, you buy your lotto ticket. In the first place, it's gambling. It's not right. The Bible, the Bible is against hasty earning of money in the book of Proverbs. And that's why gambling is wrong. Gambling is wrong because it's not stewardship. Stewardship understands that whatever we have, God owns it. We don't own it. So gambling is wrong because you're, you're playing with God's money. It's not our money. 
So in the first place, that's already wrong. And then you ask the idol to bless you as you line up with the lotto, well, you lose. And even, even if you win, it's not going to help you. Most of the people, I mean, there's been a study that has been made with people who win in the lottery. After a few years, their lives end up in terrible misery, if not tragedy. That's what happens with easy money. Then verse 6 says, Noses have they, but they smell not. I mean, you can, you can burn incense, you can offer sacrifices, they won't know it. You're offering something useless. Verse 7, they have hands, but they handle not. They can't help you in any way. If you're in trouble, their hands aren't going to move. When there's a flood that is taking place, they can't help you. In fact, you will be the one who will help them. Amen? You will carry it so that it doesn't get wet. So who's helping who? You're the one helping the idol, not the idol helping you. You're the one carrying it. You're the one delivering it. And yet, we fool ourselves. How blind we are. Verse 7, feet have they, but they walk not. I mean, isn't it interesting that some people think that when you have this image, then you have the presence of God. No, the presence of God is everywhere. Amen? The presence of God is never localized. They aren't going to go with you. They can't be in your presence when you're having difficulties and problems. In verse 7, it says, Neither speak they through their throat. They can't even make noises. How can they even talk? These are dumb, dead idols. Now, we're not mincing words here because the Bible is not mincing words. We've got to tell it exactly as it is. The truth has to be told. Because if the truth is not told, then we will continue to live in a lie, and our people will not be delivered, and we will continue on in this misery, in this poverty. And take a look at the many calamities that have been taking place in our nation. You have super typhoons. You have thousands of people who die. You have powerful earthquakes. Thousands of people die. There's plague. There's pestilence. I mean, everywhere, you, you can see the hand of God is heavy upon us. And again, it's, it's not mainly political. It's not mainly economic. The problem is mainly spiritual. And our people have got to open their eyes to the truth if we are going to be delivered. If this country is going to be better, if it's going to rise, so, so to speak, from the ashes, then we have got to be delivered from our lies and our deception, the delusion of the enemy, and we need to stick it out with the truth. It says here, and this is the most devastating statement of all in verse 8, they who make them will become like them. They who make them will become like them. You will become like the God that you worship. If you worship a dead God, you're dead. If you worship a dumb God, you'll be dumb. If you worship a God that has no life, you will be lifeless. The person makes the image, he trusts the image. 
and then he becomes like the image. That's the process. You make the image, you trust the image, you become like the image. You become what you worship. That is why in the next point it says it's, it's a teacher of falsehood. Notice what this verse says. Or an image, a teacher of falsehood. I mean, an idol indirectly teaches falsehood. You know why? Because it teaches man that it is, referring to the idol, that it is a God that can help you. Again, it cannot, it cannot help you. It cannot help you. Well, again, I recall the time when we were deeply entrenched in idolatry. And I recall the time when, when this image that we were worshiping fell and the hand broke. So we had to, we had to put it back through epoxy. I mean, is that the God that we worship? Now notice the faith that people have in the God of their own creation. It says, for its maker trusts in his own handiwork. Now here's, let, let's talk about a certain principle. Which is greater, the creator or the created? You don't sound so sure. Which is greater, the creator or the created? The creator is greater and yet in this particular case the created the graven image becomes greater than the one who created it isn't that strange that the one that was created is now greater that is not supposed to be the case man therefore does that which is foolish by making greater that which is lesser by trusting what he himself has created and yet the Bible says it is speechless. It is lifeless. Look at what this verse says. When he fashions speechless idols. Now again, what does this speak of? This speaks of the lifelessness and the powerlessness of these idols. Now how in the world can they help you if they're lifeless and powerless? These idols don't communicate. And so the big question is, where then do we get all these teachings behind these idols? If the idols do not teach, if they do not communicate, if they do not speak, so where then do we get all these teachings coming supposedly from these idols? Now, if they are inanimate objects that cannot teach, obviously, whatever we think comes from them is actually the invention of the human mind. So in truth, while we think that these idols are teaching us, no, it is the delusion, the invention of man's mind that is teaching all these teachings and they are all heresies. They are all false teachings. They're not the truth. We ourselves invent these teachings. And again, they're man-made teachings which would damn souls to hell. And that's why, again, we're, we're not trying to gloat over the fact that we know the truth and some people don't know the truth. In fact, my prayer is, Lord, in your wrath, remember mercy. Because we too, most of us at least, including myself, most of us were idol worshipers. 
Most of us were, were captivated by the worship of these graven images. We too were sinning against God before. We too were participating in that abomination. And if not for the grace of God, if not for the guidance and the truth revealed by the Holy Spirit, we would still be remaining in our previous condition. But thanks be to God, through His grace, our eyes are opened, our, our, our hearts have been opened, and we now know the truth, and the truth has set us free. Hallelujah. Amen? And we want what we have. But what we, what we want is for other people to have what you and I have, this freedom. This emancipation that you and I have. In verse 19, it talks about the misery of idol worshipers as they besiege inanimate objects. Look at verse 19, please. It says, Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, and to a mute stone, Arise. You know, this reminds me of what uh, 700 Club did before they did a video clip about idolatry. And, and the scene was Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaoh of uh, Moses' time, was carrying his dead son. And he, he brought this dead son before this, this idol of his. And he was crying out to this idol. And he was saying, can you not see me? Can you not hear me? And I felt that was a very powerful video clip that showed the lifelessness and the powerlessness of an idol. And that is why it is absolute foolishness. It's a vain attempt on the part of these people to say to, the, to a piece of wood, Awake and arise. It's a vain attempt to seek the help of these idols. That's why you find the word woe here. Now we've been studying about the word woe, I think the previous Sunday. And what does woe mean? It, it talks about the misery that comes as a result of an impending judgment. Judgment was about to take place upon the nation of Babylon. And let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, we are and we have been judged by God as a result of our idol worshiping. We have become fools. You know, when, when Typhoon Ruping came across Cebu, if you recall that, our bridge, our only bridge at that time, Maktan Bridge, was, was damaged at that time. And we, people had to be ferried uh, to Maktan Island, if you still recall that time. And so interesting, you know, right after the storm, it was a serious thing. You know, we did not have electricity for, for several weeks, if you recall. I recall I was, I was pumping from, you know, I was uh, using the uh, PRT. And I was doing PRT at that time. Paghako tubig, you know. I was doing that because we didn't have electricity. We didn't have water. And yet, right after that storm, guess what people were doing? And I went out into the streets. People were drinking. They were laughing. I mean, sometimes we laugh at the wrong things. I mean, I get it that we're resilient sometimes. But you know what? Resiliency is a proper place. 
There's a time when, when you and I need to be serious. And yet, you know what? Because of our idolatry, sometimes we just have a wrong perspective on life. We'd like to look at it as a strength. I see it as a weakness. And notice here in verse 19, it also says that idol worshiping is no teacher at all. In fact, there's a rhetorical question here. And it says, just to read verse 19 once again, Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, Awake, to a mute stone, arise. And then the question, and that is your teacher? It's a rhetorical question. Meaning to say, no, it cannot be a teacher. How, how can a stone, how can a piece of wood be a teacher? How can an inanimate object be your teacher? It is pure foolishness. And what is so sad is, yes, it is made of valuable earthly materials, but it is valueless. Notice it says, behold. Again, behold is a word that, that tells people to, to pay attention. Pay attention to what? That it is overlaid with gold and silver. That's the only value that it has, but it is valueless. The value is in the material. But as an object of worship, it was valueless, it was worthless. And that is why here you note a, a biting sarcasm with this question. And then it is added here that it is breathless. Again, speaking about its lifelessness, it says, And there is no breath at all inside it. No breath at all inside it. How do you know if something is alive? We were singing a song a while ago, right? Why do we praise and worship? Because there's what? There's breath in our lungs. So when there's breath in your lungs, you know you are what? You are alive. When something has no breath, when something has no lungs, is it alive or is it dead? It's dead. And yet, that's what people go to. I mean, you can try to resuscitate it. You can put an oxygen tank on it. It will still not breathe. And yet, we worship it. Now, let's see how, how some people just vainly seek for blessings in spite of the lifelessness of an idol. Again, as I mentioned to you, it's widespread. It's all over the world. Do you know that there is a two-inch discolored eye tooth which is reverenced by 400 million Buddhists as the most sacred object on earth. The tooth is supposed to have been reclaimed from Buddha's funeral pyre in 543 BC and was brought to Ceylon 800 years later. Today, the tooth sets upon a golden lotus in what is called as the glorious temple of the tooth. Okay. Have you ever, have you ever heard that? The glorious temple of the tooth. And this is in, in Kandy, Ceylon. It is surrounded by rubies and tons of flowers. Each year, a hundred thousand faithful Buddhists come from many countries to gaze at the sacred tooth. They bring gifts of gold, silver, and jewels to place within 
the temple. Now, can you imagine yourself worshiping a tooth? Going to a dentist, the dentist pulls your tooth, and then you worship your tooth. I mean, it's really incredible how Satan has caused a lot of people to believe all these lies. And yet we come to the climax. The one true God in verse 20, as we talk about the transcendent existence of God in time and space. Take a look at verse 20, please. It says, but the Lord, there's the contrast, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Now, in this very short sentence, we find truth that is packed in this very short verse. It speaks about the existence of God in time. It says, the Lord is. That is a function of time. He is, He was, and is to come. It is a function of time. In contrast to an idol that is dead, in contrast to an idol that is lifeless and powerless, our God is alive. He is alive. That's why we were singing a song a while ago. He is, He is, He is. What is that telling you? That is telling you about the existence of our God. While all other gods are false gods, while all other gods are lifeless and powerless, we worship a God who is a deliverer, a God who is a healer, a God who is our protector, a God who is our provider, a God who is a prayer-answering God. Amen? He is a prayer-answering God. And that's why we are blessed that we are worshiping that one and only true God. Not only does God exist in time, but also in space. That's why it says, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Now it's speaking about a locality, of course, but you and I understand that even though the Bible says He is in His holy temple, we know that God is everywhere. We studied Psalm 139 last weekend, wherein the Bible says we cannot escape from the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is everywhere. And let me just tell you this, God does not only exist in time and in space, God actually is much greater than space. We think in terms of galaxies as being infinite. Let me just tell you, galaxies, the universe that we live in, it's not infinite. God is infinite. And so I notice what, what Solomon and David said, that heaven and earth cannot contain thee. Meaning to say God is bigger than the universe, amen? That is the God we serve, hallelujah, amen? He is bigger than the universe. And yet, you know, here, here's, here's a powerful thing. And yet, although we speak of the magnitude, the bigness, the greatness, the majesty of this God, and yet, brothers and sisters, in spite of His bigness, He has a big heart because He loves you. 
Amen? He loves you so much, in fact, that he died. He sent his only begotten son to die on the cross and to pay for your sins. Amen? It doesn't get any better than that. Hallelujah. Amen? The love of God is as big as he is. And that is what is mind-blowing here, brothers and sisters. You know, when you and I pray, do you feel like you're competing with the billions of people who are praying at the same time? Do you think in these terms, I have, to, I have to pray longer because there are other people who are praying to the Lord and they might be praying long prayers. God might not hear me. I have to pray for two hours and three hours. Do we pray that way? Or do we say, I have, I, have to, I have to shout at the top of my voice because there are many people who are crying out to God. God might not hear me, so I have to shout to God so that he could hear me. Do we think in those terms that we are competing with other people? You know what? We don't feel that because we know that God loves each and every individual who calls upon his name. Amen? We know that we're not competing because he loves us all. That's why, isn't it true that sometimes you feel that you are God's favorite? Amen? Because of the attention that he brings on you because of the love that he pours in your life, the favor that he grants you. I recall one sister one time who was, who was praying to the Lord. She had a Bible study, but the Bible study was open air. And she did not want the Bible study to be hindered. And it started to really rain. And she said, Lord, Please don't let this, this Bible study to be stopped. Lord, please, please stop the rain. Stop the rain, Lord, so that we could continue the Bible study. And you know what happened? And I know this story because this comes from a sister who was ministering in Batangas. And this is what happened. The rain continued on, but not where they were having Bible study. On the sides where rain but where they were having a Bible study, there was no rain. Amen? Our God is a prayer answering God. And it says here, the Lord is in his holy temple. Now, oftentimes when we think of the word holy, we think in terms of purity. And that's right. But that's not the only meaning of, of holy. The word holy means he is over, above, beyond all of creation. Our God is not a weak God. Our God is transcendent. He is over and above every creation. And that is why God the Father could say to Jesus Christ, All authority has been given to you under heaven and earth. Amen. All authority. Why? Because the God that we serve is transcendent. Amen? He is transcendent. He is over, above, beyond everything else and everybody else. Amen? 
And that is why we were singing that song a while ago, nothing can stop, nothing can stand against our God. Amen? Because our God is almighty and all-powerful. That's why as a final word here, there is a command to worship and shut up. It says here, let all the earth be silent before him. The Hebrew word hasa, rendered to be silent, means hush. Keep quiet. Be silent. Be still. Let all the earth be silent, therefore speaks of awe and worship. You know what happens when royalty walks into this hall? Just for example, what if the Queen of England would all of a sudden enter the door? I'm sure all of us would just stand in awe and silence because that's what happens when you see majesty. Well, let me just tell you this. Our God is not only king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Amen. He is king of kings and lord of lords. Let all the earth be silent. And it says here, all, let all the earth be silent before him. Meaning to say, let all the idol worshipers shut up. Let all the false teachings about these idols be shut up. Because the truth is the earth belongs to the Lord and the Lord is in his holy temple. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand, please. So, we are blessed that we worship a God who is alive and powerful. And again, no credit to us, no merit to us. It's all by grace, all by God, and all by faith. But at the same time, even as we rejoice in the blessings that God has given to us, we, we worry about our fellow Filipinos. Because right now, they're doing something that is incurring the wrath of God. And so what do we want to do? We want to say this, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. So I invite each one of us right now to pray for our city. Can, can we all rise from our seats right now? And could you please find a partner to pray with? And I'd like us to pray for our, our country and our city as well. I mean, you can go by twos and you can go by threes. Just find a partner, please, to pray with. Join somebody in prayer. If, if somebody's alone, could you please reach out to that, that person and pray together with, with that person, please. All right. Uh, we will start praising and worshiping the Lord first through our lips. And let's glorify God. Let's honor Him. Let's, let's bless Him right now. Lord, You are the one and only true God. Let's declare that before the Lord. You are almighty. You are all-powerful. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's worship the Lord. 
every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord. There is no other name by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. And we glorify you. We bless you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one and only true God. And you are alive. And you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, at the count of three, we will all together pray for our city. So here we go. One, two, let's start praying right now. Pray for the city, please. Pray for the city. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we just give you thanks and praise, Lord, for this morning, oh, Father. We, we continue to lift up our city to you, oh, God, and our entire nation. Let there be repentance, oh, Father God, in our city and in our country, oh, God. Open the eyes of the people, Lord. Open their hearts, oh, God, to the truth of God's word, oh, Father. And we pray, Father, that there will be a genuine harvest of souls, Lord, upon our city and upon our country. Lord, we pray that you will destroy the works of Satan, O God. We bind and cast out the works of the enemy, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we confess that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, O God. You are almighty, O God, and nothing can stop you, O God. Hallelujah. Bless your holy name, O God. And we thank you, Lord. We, we lift up to you in prayer all those evangelical, biblical churches that are doing their services right now. Empower them right now and anoint them. And even our afternoon services, Lord, although it will be more difficult to come here in the afternoon, Lord, we just pray for your blessing and anointing upon our afternoon services, O God. Let Jesus be glorified. Let Jesus be honored, O God. We thank you and bless you. We worship you, Lord. And we thank you that we could also worship you, Father, uh, even while it is so difficult. We thank you that we also give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings, Lord. Lord, use them for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, would you be so kind, please, to, to bless us, not because we're greedy for prosperity, but because we want to use our resources, the resources you give to us for the extension of your kingdom. We want to be partners with you, Lord. And so, Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back the glory, the praises, as well as the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.